How are we doing today? Um, man, Easter was so good. Um, I was, I, was uh, I don't know, especially blessed by it. I enjoyed it. Um, and God did a wonderful thing last, uh, last week. Um, you know, last week after the 1015 service, or at the end of the 1015 service, I, I offered a, uh, an invitation in, in a different way than normal, where we had some people uh, raise their hand if they wanted to receive Christ, and we had, uh, I didn't count exactly, but uh, over a dozen people that had raised their hand to receive Christ for the first time, and um, yeah, it's, so, you know, in the last week, I've been thinking about that and, and what, uh, what needs to happen for not only those people, uh, especially those people that have received Christ for the first time, but um, for anybody that uh, begins a relationship with the Lord, what needs to, to happen? Um, we, we think about Christianity a lot of times in a, a little bit of a systematic way, you know. Uh, we think of it in terms of we present the gospel People believe, they accept Jesus, um, they begin a relationship with the Lord, and then they grow spiritually. Like These are the kind of the steps that people take in their faith. And, and to some degree, that may be true, um, but that's not really how it works for most people. Um, the relationship piece of, of Christianity is the whole essence or, or um, it's the intention of God that what he wants from you and me and has always wanted from you and me is the relationship. And that's the way I've always understood it, that uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to, to today, um, God has always desired for us to know him, be known by him, relate to him, be close to him, have that close connection. And uh, how that happens is really kind of different for everybody. Um, you know, but Jesus, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember what he said? Greatest commandment is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so, um, when, when Jesus declares that this is God's intention, this is his desire for people to, to love him, to know him, to relate to him, um, then what you know is that what God is doing and what Scripture tells us, and we see this all the time, is that God is constantly drawing people to himself. He's constantly working on people to open their hearts, open their minds to himself. And so people begin a relationship with God before they even know what's going on. And I believe that God is drawing everyone into a relationship, like he's always working on people, uh, whether or not people respond to that, whether or not they respond in faith, whether they respond in knowledge, whether they respond by, you know, becoming part of a church body, um, you know, that, that is a separate issue, but God is working on people, and so he, they begin to, to sense this draw of God, this need for God, this, this idea that there's something missing that only God can fill. And they may not have a, a clue who they're praying to, what they're praying about, what, what the, the essence of this relationship will actually require. Um, and then hopefully, you know, what happens is that they, they're like, I need to learn what, what is going on here. And so they come into a church and they begin to hear what scripture says about what this relationship is all about. So the relationship sometimes begins before there's even understanding of, it, of what's happening. But the other thing is that for some people who've gotten a little piece of the understanding, they've applied faith and they've received Christ, the, the relationship may seem mysterious. And how many of you, you know, just find that the relationship with God, you know, is kind of, it's still kind of mysterious. You, you feel that way? Like, I'm, I'm, I have a relationship with a God that I cannot see. And I spend time in prayer, but I don't always hear things. And sometimes I want to feel something, but I don't always feel what I want to feel. And sometimes I have things that I'm, I'm, I'm praying about, that I'm laying out to God, that I want Him to take care of or change or, you know, to, to uh, remove some fear or some anxiety or some anger or some hurt, some issue. 
but I'm still struggling with that. Or there's some issue of unforgiveness that I just keep dealing with over and over and over and over, and I keep praying over that, but I'm not getting an answer. Or there's a discernment issue that I'm trying to figure out. What is, what is God trying to say to me about what I'm supposed to do here, and I'm not hearing what I need to hear, and I keep coming back to you know, this, this thing and over and over and over and over, and, and it's just kind of a, an issue. I hear it from pastors. I hear it from you know, people in the church. Um, prayer is hard. You know, keeping, um, keeping myself in prayer is difficult. People like spending the time with the Lord or how many people have a hard time reading the Bible, understanding it, or being motivated to read it or knowing where to start or what it means or how to apply it to their life. Like, it's just this mysterious thing. And so what I want to do this morning is, is hopefully help in clarifying, like, what is this relationship with Christ? How do you have a relationship with him? Who is he? Um, because what we do know is that as God is drawing people to himself, you, you have to know the right God, right? You have to understand who he is as he has revealed himself, as he actually is. And so coming to a, a grasp of the truth is going to be the step that leads you into maturity. You can begin a relationship with God. He loves you. He wants to, to have a relationship with you. But until you come to a point of, of agreeing with him in, in terms of what he has said about himself, you may be just wandering all over the place. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to get to the truth of what this is all about. Okay? And uh, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> Not really. Um, but we're going to begin here in Matthew 18, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Okay, and let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 18. Some of you know, if you are familiar with Matthew 18, that uh, this is the, the section about um, church discipline. Okay, um, this is where, you know, brother sins and they're confronted or they're um, uh, dealt with and they have to go before, you know, other leaders in the church, etc., trying to get to a point of, of repentance, etc. Um, but there's some really interesting things that happen later on in that passage. And so here's what it says. It says, Truly I say to you, uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you have um, not only promised, but, but there's just a, a reality. It's a, a fact. You're with us. You're here. Um, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can, at any moment, any day, any time, no matter what's going on, we can, we can cry out to you. We can call out to you that you hear us, that you are close to us. Your word says that if uh, we draw close to you, that you will draw close to us that there's a, a promise and a guarantee that um, at any moment, no matter how far we feel, uh, we can simply cry out and, and you, you are um, right there. And you are never gone and you are never missing and you are never absent, Lord. It's just a, a sense and an understanding that we need to have that we can, we can close our eyes or we can keep them open, but we can know that you're right there. But, Lord, we, we want to go uh, deeper in our walk, in our relationship with you. We want to know you. you. We know that you know us. We know that you know every detail of how you made us and who we are and everything we think, everything we feel and why we do and better than we do. We want to know you. Um, and so help us, Lord, to um, dive deep into that relationship. Let it do its work. Um, and uh, help us to be the people that you created us to be, fully, completely, um, fully uh, mature in Christ, for your glory, for our sake, in Jesus' name, amen. So before we jump into the context, we, we always want to deal with the context of the passage that we're in. I'm going to do something a little weird. I'm going to actually skip the context. I'm going to jump to 
the conclusion, and then I'm going to go back to the context um, in two hours. So here's what it says. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is declaring a theological truth, okay? He's saying he is omnipresent. He's, he's omnipresent. And we, if you don't know what that word means, it just means everywhere all the time. He, he is always present. There, there is no place where he is not that uh, there's no time that he is not present. There's no situation, there's no context that you could possibly go to where he wouldn't be there. He, he's claiming deity. If he says to people, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them, he's saying that I am God. Only God can do that. Because how many different groups of two or three people could there be gathered at any point in time on the earth? in his name, right? Right now, in churches all across America and all across the world, people are meeting and worshiping and gathering in his name. Is he, is he only with us or is he with them too? Is he with different people, different groups, different uh, situations? Like he's always everywhere all the time, right? That's the theological term is omnipresent. So he's claiming that he is God. We, we know that. Like you and I, we're not surprised by that. That's not like, oh, I didn't know he was God. Like, like we, we knew that. But uh, what we don't always like think about is the fact that Jesus as the son, as the second person of the Trinity, has always existed as the second person of the Trinity, that he was there in the Old Testament. He was there at creation. He was there from eternity past. He's never not existed. He's always been. And so what we see in like Psalm uh, 139, David talks about this, uh, this omnipresence of God um, that he says, uh, verse 7 says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. Um, he says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even in the darkness, it's not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light, to, is as light to you. And part of what begins to happen as you keep reading in Psalm 139 is that David begins to actually go into this issue, you know, and this is the Holy Spirit has given him revelation, understanding about this, but he goes into, um, this is why is because in, in the darkness, Where's the darkest place that you can possibly be? In your mother's womb. So, and he begins to go into, you knit me together. You made me there, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And even there, at the very spark of my life, you were there. You were forming me. You were present. Like, there's, there's nowhere that, that I could possibly go that you wouldn't already be there with me. And so he's, he's declaring that about God, and Jesus says that that theological like understanding of God always present and creation and making people and forming them and designing them and all of that and forming all of creation and making the world. What does it say in, in John? John 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning and it declares that Jesus formed all of creation, that he is the, the one, he is the author. And why is that? We kind of make these distinctions between Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and, and that's okay to do, and that's fine, uh, but God is one. And so whatever you say about Jesus, you say about the Father, you say about the Spirit, you kind of interchangeably understand that, that they're always working together in their nature. They are one God, and yet they have these distinct kind of personalities that we're trying to figure out, and it blows our minds because we can't really, truly, as human beings, comprehend the, the uniqueness of who God is. Like, there's, there's limits to what we understand. God has revealed some aspects of his nature, but there are limits to how we comprehend the, the power and the majesty and the wonder of the complexity of who he is. But in the Old Testament, you see Jesus is present. He's never not been. And so... Um, there are these things called theophanies or Christophanies. Theophanies are, are appearances of God. 
Christophanies are appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. And what it is is manifestations of the visible presence of the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus. Okay, you follow me on this? Visible, tangible representations, manifestations of Jesus in the Old Testament. And they're there over and over and over and over and over again. And so what, it, what you have to do in your mind here is, is to understand the omnipresence of God that is invisible. So God is here among us even if we don't see him because he, he, you cannot go anywhere where he's not. And that includes Jesus. Jesus is right here among us right now. And then you have these other momentary situations where you have the manifest presence of God where he visibly appears in certain forms, where he's tangible, where you're speaking to him, where you're seeing something, and you could actually touch something. And what you understand about those instances in the Old Testament is that when you see that happen, that is Jesus. That is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who's always existed. So just a few instances of this. One is uh, Genesis 18. Um, God appears to Abraham, and it's actually uh, three men come to visit Abraham. One of them is God himself. Um, and then we know that he's God because it says, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Um, and then the other two were angels. And so what happened was, uh, as these three appear to Abraham, one is God, who is Jesus. The other two are angels. They go into Sodom, okay, in Genesis 19. And you know the rest of the story from there, right? Fire and brimstone and and Lot and his family flee, and his wife turns into a pile of salt, and all the rest of it. Very odd situation, but one of those is God manifest. Then you have appearance to Jacob in Genesis 32. This is where Jacob wrestles with God, and it says that uh, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have striven with God. You have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob calls that place Peniel, and he says, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So who is he wrestling with? He's wrestling with God. But who is this? Tangibly, we say this is a Christophany. This is the second person of the Trinity wrestling with Jacob all night. Then you have um, Joshua, Joshua 5, 13 to 15. This is... Uh, where he's getting ready to enter Jericho, a man with a sword in his hand appeared to Joshua before the fall of Jericho. He identifies himself as the commander of the armies of the Lord, and Joshua immediately fell to his face, worshipped the man, and the commander said, take off your sandals from, from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, that's interesting because um, you've heard this kind of language before in Exodus chapter 3. Take off your sandals because the ground that you are standing on is holy ground, is when Moses uh, finds the, the bush that's in flames, but it's not consumed, and he goes over to see what this is. And what happens is he goes over, and God says from the bush, take off your sandals where you're standing is holy ground. So in Scripture, what you have is a connection between these two events. The only two times in Scripture where somebody is told to take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. So Scripture wants you to connect these two events. And you have this Christophany in Joshua where you have the commander of the armies of the Lord, which appears very clearly to be the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And you're connecting that back to uh, over in Exodus chapter 3 where, Abra or where Moses is talking to what is said to be the angel of the Lord, but is also, if you go back and read that whole story, is called the Lord. So it's the angel of the Lord and it's the Lord. And what you have there is potentially, likely, uh, an instance where Moses is actually speaking to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. So wherever you see throughout the Old Testament the angel of the Lord, it's likely that that term is not meant to be used in the same way that we see other angels, archangels, seraphim, cherubim, etc. That term is the messenger. Angel means messenger. The voice of the Lord. The one who is speaking for the Lord, who is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus is the tangible, the visible manifestation of the presence of God. 
And so wherever you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is likely, okay, you could argue, and, and if you wanted to argue differently, we wouldn't be mad about it, but um, it's likely that is a Christophany. It is Jesus appearing, Jesus visibly manifesting to somebody, revealing himself to somebody in the Old Testament. So Jesus has always been. He's always existed. And Jesus says in the New Testament, I'm going to be with you. He says in Matthew 28, he says, um, lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So we don't just have one instance in Matthew 18 where he says, where two or three are gathered. He says, I'll always be with you. And it's not just a promise, which would be nice if that was just a promise. What he's saying is, this is a theological reality. This is a fact. We sang a song that God never changes, okay? One of the songs that we just sang. That's another theological truth. It's called the immutability of God. It means that God doesn't change. He cannot change because he's perfect in his essence. So what would he change to? How He can't learn anything. He can't grow into anything. He can't mature into anything. He is already absolutely perfect and all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-glorious, ruling, reigning. I mean, he's everything that he could possibly be. He can't change. He can't become anything different or more. He certainly can't become less, right? So the theological truth is that Jesus says, this is how I am. I'll always be with you. I'll be present. And so what's interesting is that we kind of get, I don't know, I'm not going to say confused, but we have this distinction that we make between Christ and the Holy Spirit, which is okay, okay? But the New Testament actually uses the Spirit of, of Christ and the Holy Spirit interchangeably. Do you know that? Some of you are like, I'm not even sure what you're talking about yet. So when you have a relationship with Christ... What has happened is that Jesus came and he died sacrificially to pay for sin. Amen? You get that? He rose from the dead and he conquered death on your behalf. So therefore, you have eternal life. Then, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. And then 10 days after that, on Pentecost, he sent his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is what you and I receive when we have faith in Christ. He puts a deposit of his Holy Spirit in us. Now, it's, here's, here's some interesting things that we see about the Holy Spirit. Um, you receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit for your salvation. It guarantees that you're going to go to heaven. It's an awesome thing. Then you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. At different times in your life, sometimes you, f- you feel, you sense more power, more um, understanding, more giftedness, more ability, more opportunity, more discernment, or more understanding to move into certain things that God would call you into, or to give you an awareness about what's going to happen uh, in, in your future in terms of, I need to discern about what I'm supposed to do, and God kind of, he, he fills you in a sense of being able to be able to move into certain areas. You ever sense that? The fullness of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes you feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of small in you. Sometimes you feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of grown in you. And then there's another thing which uh, I thought was interesting because somebody was telling me about this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, you know, this is something that, you know, as Baptists, we should understand pretty well. You know, like we like baptism, right? But we're afraid of this idea of baptism of the Holy Spirit because um, it kind of puts things out of our control. But it's okay for God to be in control, isn't it? But here's the thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, you receive the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like taking a sip of water in a way. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is like you jumping into the ocean. Like the Holy Spirit in you is one thing, but you in the Holy Spirit is something else, right? But that's what baptism is. It's immersion. It's, it's being immersed in something. And we have all these different experiences of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you, you call upon the Holy Spirit to give you strength. Sometimes you, you depend on the Holy Spirit in a situation that you can't possibly do on your own. 
And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit just takes over even when you're not even aware of, of what you need, right? And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit groans for you in prayer in ways that you don't even know your need. You're just, he's calling out to God for you. All these different things, but here's what the Bible says is that in First uh, Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, says uh, concerning this, the salvation that we have, he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours uh, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ in the subsequent glories. Okay, I don't know if you caught all that, but basically Peter is saying that you have salvation through Jesus, what he did for you. And what was happening was in the Old Testament, the prophets were given a revelation and understanding about who Jesus would be, what would happen in, the, in his uh, sacrifice and his resurrection and, and his miracles, his nature, and, and all those things. They were, they were given an understanding of that. But what Peter says is it was the spirit of Christ in them. It was the spirit of Christ in them. It was Jesus' Holy Spirit. And I find that very interesting that Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ um, because we don't always talk about the Holy Spirit like that, do we? We almost rarely or almost never talk about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. But in Philippians chapter 1 and verse uh, 19, it says, uh, For I know that through your prayers, he's talking to the Philippian church uh, about the fact that he's in prison, they're praying for him. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He, he's saying, I, Jesus has revealed to me that I'm going to be set free from this, this jail. But he, he doesn't say the normal thing that you would think that he would or should say, which is the Holy Spirit's revealing that to him. He says the Spirit of Jesus is revealing that to him. In uh, Acts chapter 16, uh, this is interesting. It says, uh, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden. So Paul is on his missionary journey. Uh, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they want to go into Asia. The Holy Spirit um, forbids them to do that. And then verse 7, And when they had come to uh, Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So in one instance, he says, the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow us to go here. And then he says, the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow us to go over here. Now, Scripture is, is going to make is going to use two different words to talk about the same thing for one of two reasons, right? One of two reasons. One is, possibly, that Scripture is making a distinction. That he's using two different words because he's, he's distinguishing between one or the other. That's, that's one reason. The other reason would be because they're the same thing. They're interchangeable. You can use the same word to talk about... The, those two things, or you can do, use two different words to talk about this one thing. So he's saying the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit didn't allow us to do this. The Spirit of Jesus didn't allow us to do this because they're the one and the same. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And then he says over in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, because you are sons and daughters, okay, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Why can you call God Father? It's because the Holy Spirit in you is the Spirit of Christ making you a child of God, brothers, sisters with Christ. This, this is typical, okay? Typical preaching, teaching of, of God's Word to God's people that we understand I'm a child of God because the Spirit of God lives within me. The Spirit of Christ lives within me. And then over in Colossians, uh, chapter 1, he says this, and that kind of comes to the point here, 127, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Okay, so here, here's what he's saying. The Gentiles are getting a picture of, of how amazing the mystery of salvation is, which is this, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You ever heard that before? Christ in you, the hope of glory. When God sees you, when he sees you, 
What does, he, what does he see? He sees Jesus. This is why you're saved, or it's how you're saved, because God doesn't see you in your sin. He sees Christ in you, which means that positionally, okay, theologically speaking, positionally, he has taken your sin, placed him on the cross, and he's taken Christ's sacrifice, placed him on you, but then he put his spirit on you, which means that when he sees you, he sees his son. So therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because God sees Christ and therefore you're saved. You are redeemed. You are promised eternal life. That, that's the hope that we have. Amen? That's, that's an awesome thing to know that when God sees you, he sees his son in you. Therefore, there's no condemnation. So what we're trying to get to here is this understanding of, of this reality of the relationship that we have with God, where we, we call God Father. Okay. When you pray, do you, do you talk like this? Heavenly Father, thank you, for, thank you for my family. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the, the job that I have. Thank you for uh, the health that I have. Thank you for all the things that you've blessed me with. Lord, would you help me to be the kind of person that you want me to be to, to, to my family, to my kids, to my coworkers? As, and on, you're talking to the Father, to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit. You're, you're speaking from a place where you're, you refer to Jesus, Christ, Savior, Master. I mean, we use all these terms interchangeably to, to talk about our relationship with God, that we're, we're, we're diving into a personal connection where it's coming from within the Holy Spirit within us, and it's coming from without, and we're using these terms there are terms that are okay, and then there are some terms that are not. Because God has revealed who he is, and he's also revealed what and who he is not. So all these terms are fine. Lord, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Savior, Master. Okay, all those things are fine. But he's not the sky. He's not the ocean. He's not the sun, moon, and stars. He's not the mountains. He's not the rivers. He's not the forest. He's not, he's not the sunset. He's not the sunrise, right? You understand that? Those are his creations. And they may glorify him, but they are not him. And so the information that we have is that God as one and Jesus as the second person of the Trinity and the one who lives within us is part of that that sense of I can pray and I know him and I have a personal relationship with him and it's, and it's specific. Then you take that relationship and now you begin to personally relate to him in different ways. So how many of you love to pray in the mountains? Isn't it awesome to be in a, a majestic place and to feel like, wow, this is amazing. Or some of you love the beach. You sit on the beach, you got your toes in the sand, the waves are crashing, and you just like, man, I feel so connected with the Lord right now. How many of you, you uh, love to connect with the Lord in a deer stand? I mean, I hear that more than anything. You're sitting there, and the sun's starting to come up, and the squirrels are starting to chatter and run around, and they, you're looking around for this little cute deer that you want to murder, and... <laughs> I'll give you all the glory, God. Just give me that 12-point buck. And so you have these different things. It, 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 you know, maybe it's nature. Maybe it's just driving to work. Just get in the car by myself. Turn everything out. I'm, I'm focused and I'm praying. Or you're in your recliner with your Bible open in your lap and a cup of coffee right there. You're on your back porch and you see the sun come up and you're just spending time with the Lord. Or you're walking around in that quiet place, wherever that is. Or you like to come into the sanctuary during the week when things are quiet and nobody's here. And you just want to bow and, and, and kneel at the altar and just pray to God. It, whatever. It's your personal relationship and you have a personal connection that you're seeking to achieve in, in how you do that. It's through scripture. It's through prayer. It's through worship. It's through quietness. It's through being alone. It's through whatever environment that you need it to be. It's your personal relationship with God, right? This is what we 
constantly are uh, appealing to you to, to grow, to mature in, to develop, that you need that. As a believer, you need a personal relationship with God. And it has to be the true God who has revealed himself through Scripture. It's not a false God that you create in your own mind. Now, let me explain something about the context here, okay? All of that is very, very important. There's something else that this context is telling us about what else needs to be developed. He says this. He says, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you know what that means? It's not easy to understand that. I'm going to explain it to you in very simple terms. What it means is that the church declares what God has determined. That's it. The church declares what God has determined. That This is our message. We speak, we preach, we proclaim the truth of God's word as he has revealed it to you, to the world, to whoever will listen, whoever will hear on the radio, on the internet, or whatever means possible, okay? But it's our job, it's our responsibility to simply declare what God has determined. Now, what that also means is that the church has no right to change what we want the word to say in order to meet people's itching ears. We don't get to declare things that God has not declared or determined. We don't determine the truth. We declare it. Okay? So when the church says things about sexual immorality and gender identity, we're not saying this is our opinion this is what we want it to be. This is, this is what we, we hope that it is. No, we're saying the Bible says this is what it is. According to God's will, according to God's word, according to God's desire, how he made us and how he's going to relate to us, he says this is the only place where sex is pure. One man, one woman in marriage. That's it. There's nothing else that you can... We, we cannot endorse homosexuality any, any more than we could possibly endorse adultery. Because we would have to change what God has said. We would have to declare something that we're determining instead of what God is determining. In the church today, here's the, what is disturbing. A lot of churches are changing the message in order to fit the culture taking the responsibility to correctly handle the Word of God and they're changing it, restructuring it in order to be appealing to people that don't agree with what God says. You don't have the right. And what's going to happen, I believe, is that God's going to remove that lampstand and say, my spirit's not going to contend with that. doesn't mean God... He'll be present because God's present everywhere, but he won't, he won't apply the power. There's no, no, salve, salve, no saving power. Say it that way. There's no saving power in a message that dishonors God. So he says, whatever you loose on earth, loose in heaven. It's just declare what I've told you. And he says this. Again, I say to you, two of you agree on earth about anything they ask. It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Here's what this means, okay? This is the basis for prayer. Church gathers, declares his message, and we pray for God's will to be done. We, we, it's not about my opinion versus your opinion. Well, I'm trying to get my agenda. You're trying to get your agenda, and we're battling it out and see who's stronger, who's more, who's more um, vocal in, in being able to get their way. We're coming together to try to understand what God's will is, and then we get on his page. And once we agree on that, then we move forward, and we have an effective, powerful, spirit-filled ministry that can actually change people's lives. But it requires that we pray together, and we pray for each other, and we pray about the things that we're dealing with, Right? Where two or more are gathered and, and there, I'm with them, but I need you to be praying. I need you to be seeking the Lord. And then he says, for where two are, are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And this is the basis for the visible church. Now here's what this 
means. You need a personal relationship with the Lord. We all do. You also need a tangible, visible representation, a manifestation of the presence of Christ that happens when people gather together, and that's what is called the church. The church is the body of Christ. We didn't create it. We didn't determine what it should be. We simply are obedient to what God has said. We gather together. We sing. We worship. We pray. We proclaim. We have fellowship. We have mission. We have ministry. We have all these things together. But when we gather together like this, this is what's crazy, okay? It seems, and I don't want to be disrespectful to myself, to the praise band, to you all, to anybody, but it seems a little weak. But but this is the thing. I mean, I'm looking at my own part in it. I always think, God, you're going to use me. You're going to speak through me. You're gonna, I'm the one who's going to preach the word. Like, this doesn't even make sense to me. 90% of the time, I think I'm the least capable. I'm the least likely. I, I'm, why, why me? I don't understand that. But he loves to use weak things in order to gain, gain all the glory. He, he, he doesn't mind that the church service... Is, is not as fabulous and, and a huge production and great and grand and wonderful as, as what you and I think it maybe should be. Because the simplicity of people gathered together to glorify God is enough to represent the manifestation of the body of Christ to the world. And here's what happens. On the negative side and then the positive side. On the negative side, what happens is if you have a personal relationship with God, can you do that without the church? You're like, well, I don't know. It sounds like a trick question to me. The answer is yes. You can. It's, but it's dangerous because you have no accountability. You don't, and the other thing is it's completely selfish. No offense, but it is because it's all about you and God and nobody else. There's no mission involved in that. It's just you trying to get yourself fixed. And that's okay. We need to be fixed. But it's not what he intended, to be all my relationship with God and no corporate worship. He didn't intend that. So there's a danger in that. There's a danger in only coming to church and not having a personal relationship. Would you agree? What is that? That's just empty religion. You just come and sit and observe and leave and don't have a relationship with God, then you're missing what God intended. Now, it even goes to an extent worse than just that. On one hand, it would be that you're ineffective. If you simply come to church and you don't have a relationship with God, then you'd be ineffective in, in your mission, in your design, in your purpose. It's just you're missing something about how God created you and what he wants for you, okay? But the other thing is that that would be the least of two evils, Okay? What would be even worse is that you're here, you're involved, you're, you're engaged, and you don't have a relationship with God, and so therefore, because you are unspiritual, you're going to cause problems for the church. Division, disunity, unspiritual thoughts, bringing into the context of what should we do, and you're going to come in with, with a thought and a plan and a program that's not in terms of what God wants, but only in terms of what you want. So... A, Lacking a personal relationship is actually a big problem for the corporate church, corporate worship. You you understand that? Now, here's the thing. We want, we always do, we love to have people at every different level of spiritual growth and, and development in our church body. Right now, we have people all across the board. We have people that don't even believe. We have people who are baby Christians, people who just accepted Christ last week. We have people that are growing, people that are mature. We have people at all these different levels, right? We love that. We want always to have that. But what we don't want is somebody who has uh, come into the church 20 years ago and never grown and doesn't have a relationship with the Lord but continues to be involved. We want you to still be here, but we want you to grow in your relationship with the Lord so that you can become, determine, discern, understand, 
and grow and mature into the person that God has made you to be. And then you can effectively impact positively the mission of this church body. Right? Anything wrong with that? Okay. Now, here's the other thing. That was the negative side. Here's the positive side. When a church is doing what this passage talks about, we are declaring what God has determined. We are praying about what God's will is. And we are meeting together to be a manifestation of the presence of Christ. And people are individually, personally, having a relationship with the Lord authentically and growing, and we are corporately coming together to represent the the body of Christ to the world, what happens is, number one, you and I are in the environment that we need to be in to grow, to become the best thing that we can possibly be. And this is even more amazing. Somebody who is being impacted by God's Spirit out in the world right now is being called, being drawn to a relationship with himself. He's going to walk through these doors, come and sit in these seats, listen to what's going on, see the, the, the work of God's Spirit among his people, and be changed by that. It's the most healthy, most powerful combination of, of two things that you can imagine existing in the world. A personal relationship with God, a corporate relationship manifested in the corporate church. I know we don't love the word corporate. I'm just saying together. We're together. The body of Christ. Healthy, thriving, growing, maturing, and powerful. And when that begins to happen, and here's, I'm just going to tell you, I don't want to give credit where it's not due, but I do believe there's credit here. God has been doing that here. He's been doing that here. He's been doing it for years. Not perfectly, okay? We we got room to grow like anyone, but healthy, growing, on fire. I mean, I got to quit here, but the things that I hear when I talk to other people, it's alarming. It's alarming to hear the dysfunction that I, I've heard and seen in other, some other churches. The lack of spiritual power. The lack of, of people coming to Christ. The, it's just like, and then the criticism. I mean, I was talking to a couple pastors the other day, and all they're telling me is how people, when they preach or they lead singing, and they, all they get is criticism. And... I don't know, maybe I'm just obtuse, (laughs) but what I have felt here for a long time is there's a joy in the the congregation. There's a a receptivity. There's a desire to worship. There's a, a desire to learn and to hear and to respond to what God is saying in his word. I, 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 I do get People kind of joking, I think it's joking, about how long the sermon is. But aside from that, I, it's so positive what I hear people walking out the doors. It's amazing. And what I'm saying is this. Our church has the, the capacity, the, the potential to see more and more and more people come to Christ. And we have to keep on the word of God. We have to keep our eyes to it. We have to keep our hearts bound to that. We have to let the Holy Spirit do his work. We have to keep um, each other accountable, but also encouraged. But as you grow in your personal relationship, and as we grow as a body, I'm telling you that there is nothing more powerful than that in this community or anywhere. Amen? Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we, we're just amazed by you, what you do, how you do it, how you use us to, to do things, Lord, that we couldn't even imagine. Lord, right now, I'm, I'm lifting up the, the 
few who are feeling convicted that they haven't spent personal time with you lately. They have neglected it for whatever reason. They got busy, they got distracted, they lost track of time, whatever. Lord, encourage them. Let them know how much you love them, that it's not a rule, it's, it's not a law, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that you are so glad to have with us that you just want us to draw near. So help us to draw near, Lord. And there's nobody here who, who's drawn near enough, Lord. We can all grow in that. So help us to do that, Father. But I pray for those that know right now that they need to, to begin really getting deeper in their walk, deeper in their devotions, spending time in prayer. Lord, help them to know how much you love them. Lord, I pray for those um, who don't know you yet. <laughs> and they're hearing this and they're seeing this and, and maybe it just sounds like a foreign language to them, I don't know, but I pray that you are drawing them, Lord, that I know that you are. I know that you're already moving in their life before they ever stepped in the doors. So, Lord, would you clarify? Would you confirm? Would you draw strongly? Would you make them aware? There is a step of faith that has to happen. They have to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have to admit that they've been wrong and, and sinned and they need forgiveness. Lord, would you make that clear to them? But once that happens, it's so immediate, Lord, they can just lay all that stuff down. They can let you heal them completely. They don't have to do anything. You did it all. But they do have to receive it. Lord, would you help them to do that right now? And Lord, we pray for our church. Help us to be healthy, unified, glorifying you, excited about what you're doing, and on mission, Lord, effective for your kingdom. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And I just want to invite you, whatever the Lord's laying on your heart, you can confirm that with him right here at the altar. You can do it where you're at. Um, but if you want to come and just kneel for a moment and say, yes, Lord, now's the time to do that. Let's, let's sing.